everybody. This is your host, John Tatey, and it's time again for Mom on Pop, the podcast where my mom, Bonnie Tatey, weighs in on all manner of pop culture. This week on the show, we are going to be talking about the season finale of Comedy Central's Nathan for You, entitled Finding Francis. It was a two-hour special event, and uh, Mom and I have a little bit of history with Nathan and Nathan for You. So we thought it was time to return to the show and take another look at it. We will also critique another Miss Manners letter. We will draw the lucky winner of a mom-knitted sock. Uh, two socks, actually, you're going to give socks, them, aren't you, Mom? Yeah. yeah, it's very generous of you. <laughs> of course, we'll have all the latest from home from Mom. Uh, mom, you've been spending a lot of time in uh, the big city lately. I, usually I ask you about New Hampshire, but I know you've been going down to Boston a lot, right? Yes. Yes, Daddy and I went to Boston this past weekend for um, an event. But first, let me tell you, the first stop we made hmm. was at our favorite seafood place, mm -hmm. Legal Seafood, mm -hmm. in Boston. The, the nice one that's in Copley Square, because the one that's over by the aquarium is, is really not a very good Legal Seafood. Oh, yeah. The Copley one has a nice view, right? It has a nice view. It has a different aura to it. It's a little more elegant. It's a little little more fine dining. Well, that one near the aquarium, you're eating all those aquarium fish. That's no good. Oh, the dead ones. Yeah. Look, that is not true legal seafood. We just are making that's, a joke. That's right. Just a joke. Just a joke. Legal seafood serves quality fare. Well, here is my issue. <laughs> <laughs> so... Everybody ordered some nice food, and I ordered a lobster roll because I didn't want a whole big meal and blah, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. I ordered a lobster roll. And when it came, the most of what I could see on the top was those – was the parts of the claw, like the tip that are rubbery mm -hmm. and taste very fishy. And I just hate those parts. So I started to pick those out. And then it was just like crumbs. It was just crumbs of lobster. So when the waitress came back and said, is everything all right here? And I said, what is this made from? Does this have the tail in it or is it just the knuckles and the claws? She said, let me check. And she came back from the kitchen and she said, it's tail and, and claws or whatever she said. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, this is really not a good-looking sandwich at all. And she said, let me get the manager. Ugh. The manager? Just take um, it back. I know. But the manager came over, and I explained to her that this was not a very good-looking sandwich and that it actually looked like cat food. Well, <laughs> you might have said uh, that I called her a Nazi. Oh, jeez. She said, well, we do not serve cat food, blah, 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 blah. And she whisked it off the table and took it away and brought back a perfectly lovely sandwich. Mm -hmm. But, of course, now by this time, I'm kind of full from eating French fries and coleslaw and picking through the other sandwich. And we can't leave this sandwich so I had to ask Daddy and Merrick to eat the the 
lobster so that it oh it was just it was very awkward sounds like a pleasant lunch great for me really great for me and boy when you go to legal seafood please do not mention cat food they really take umbrage at that taking umbrage is always a good move for a restaurant manager well, it was odd, you know, she, oh, well, we do not, sir. she, and whisked it back to the, when it came back, when it came back from the kitchen, she said, here's what it should look like. Oh. I, yeah. Well, then why the hell didn't it look like that? And why did she give you static when you complained? Well, she just didn't like that I insulted her food. Yeah, well. I'm sure a more cultured person would have been more delicate about it. I thought it was pretty delicate, cat food. You know, it's not like I called it a plate of shit. <laughs> well, I don't know how delicate cat food was. I think you're you're overselling it a little now, Mom. It was a, well, it was a pretty cutting remark, but restaurant managers are supposed to deal with unsatisfied customers, which you certainly were. Yes, I was. What is it with you and the lobster rolls, though? I can't believe you still order these things. I don't know. I don't even like them, but, uh, you know, I just, I don't know what else to order because I don't want a big plate of mashed potatoes and a piece of fish and a, you know, whatever. And if I want lobster, I'll go to Maine because I don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it there. Why do you go to Legal Seafood then? It doesn't sound like you like anything on the menu. Because Dad likes it. Um, it, Now, isn't, was it lobster roll or lobster salad that, uh, created the earlier incident years ago at McKenna's. <laughs> yeah. That was lobster salad. That lobster was salad. when we went. This was a little local place that used to be open. It's closed now. Did you know that, Johnny? McKenna's it's closed? closed? Yeah. When did that happen? Uh, in October. Oh, jeez. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's that's shocking because it was such a staple of my childhood, but yes. I also can't believe it lasted this long. Neither can I. I mean, it went from a tasty grilled cheese to I'm not sure that isn't rubber in the middle of yeah. these two crappy pieces of white bread. So, but anyway, I went there one summer night with Daddy and ordered lobster salad, and it came. There was about a half a cup of mostly chopped up lettuce, and it was like twelve dollars or something. And and so Dad said, uh, "Hey, you know, this is not really a very good value." And she said to him. But it's lobster. <laughs> yes. Hardly. So that has become a catchphrase in our family. But it's lobster. So it was dad's lobster salad? No, it was mine. Oh, it was yours. Yeah, that's that's how I remembered it. Yeah, oh, I forgot about the lettuce, too. McKenna's always knew how to find the whitest part of the yes. lettuce. I don't know what happened to the green parts of the heads of lettuce that they... I assume there was some green on the lettuce that came into the restaurant... But I, it was never served to me, if so. Uh, I agree. All the green, I think, went over to Peter Christian. Yeah. <laughs> other restaurant in town, yeah. That would that served you the greenest. I mean, it was so green, it practically could dance. It was so yeah. exuberant. But, yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if you can go to the to the produce market and, and just get a head of lettuce that's all white at a reduced price. If you can, McKenna's was there every time. That's right. That's right. Oof. Yeah, never a good salad there. Lobster or no? Oh, God, horrible, horrible. Boy, I was so fascinated. I was very jealous. Uh, tell us about, or tell the listeners about uh, the event that you went to see in Boston. This was absolutely 
wondrous. This was at Boston Symphony Hall. It was the Handel and Haydn Society Orchestra played to the Amadeus movie. So you you watched the movie, the Oscar-winning movie Amadeus. Right. And uh, they the orchestra played along? Played the actual music. The music right. did not play with the with the um, movie. The live orchestra supplied all the movie, and they have a chorus. Oh, wow. Like a, yeah, a 40-member chorus, which uh, I didn't know was going to happen. And it was spellbinding. It was just magnificent. So wait, were they, they were playing music from the movie? Along with the movie. Along with the movie. Apparently they can omit the music in a movie. I don't know how this is done. Oh, I see. They could uh, take that part out of the mix. So there was no music playing on the screen and it was all supplied by the orchestra. Right. Wow, that sounds like it was it sounds like it was fantastic. Fantastic. But here is my problem. When it was all over and they start and, and let me just say this, it's a little disorienting to adjust your senses to the fact that you're hearing a live orchestra because mm. you're watching a movie and I, I really it wasn't until the chorus stood to sing that you that you make an adjustment in your in your mind that this is live that the music is live. So a a wonderful thing. And now it's at the end and people get up and start leaving like they do at a movie. And I think, hmm, all right, whatever. But they start talking as they're leaving while the orchestra is still playing. Huh? Getting on their phones, talking right out loud, just like you would do as you leave a movie. It was the most... (laughs) Ignorant thing. I, I, I was appalled. <laughs> Did the orchestra seem to mind? No. I mean, what are they going to do? Turn around and give everybody a dirty look? <laughs> this is an interesting, you know, we're going to do Miss Matters later in the show, but this is an interesting etiquette question. When you're at a movie slash orchestra performance, which set of uh, social rules apply? Clearly, these people acted like they were at a movie and you feel they should have acted like they were at the symphony. I do, because there were many, many, many people still seated and enjoying the last minute of what was a, a wonderful experience, I think. Yeah, I feel that splitting the difference would be leave if you want to, but shut up. Right. Be polite and leave. But, you know, they're going to do Bugs Bunny. The Boston Pops is going to do Bugs Bunny. Oh, really? You don't think that would be fun? All I, that? Yes, I think it would be delightful. But it's like December 30th and something else. And, you know, up here, you can never feel relaxed about the weather. So we probably won't go to that. But I would love to see that. I bet that's a lot of fun. I bet it is, too. I'd love to fly out with the kids and see it. But that's never happening, ever. (laughs) Wow. My hopes were dashed in a nanosecond there. (laughs) Hey, speaking of hopes being dashed, there's going to be a bunch of people whose hopes are dashed right now, but one very lucky person whose hopes will come true. Because last week on the podcast, we asked people to tweet, uh, send a tweet to mom if they wanted her to knit them a pair of socks. And we got a bunch of entries, right, mom? 
We did. We got 46 entries. 46 entries. That's great. A lot of people need socks, apparently. <laughs> well, a couple of people said they would like to get them for their wife for Christmas, Aww. which I thought very That's sweet. so sweet. I love it. Okay, so you have written down everybody. We've numbered them from 1 to 46, right? Yes. And now I'm going to, on the random.org, random number generator, I'm going to pick a number at random from between 1 and 46, and we're going to see who our winner is. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number 27. Ooh, that is Bobby Joe Linderman. Well, and then it has her tweet thing. Okay. So you you will reach out to Bobby Joe Linderman to get uh, her size. Is that right? Yes. Now, how do you do the sizes? Um, just measure your foot, and then you knit the foot. You knit the uh, bottom of the sock to a few inch, uh, two inches before the end, and then you start to decrease till you get to the end. Wow! There you go, and that's how you make a sock. So, mom's gonna get in touch with Bobby Joe. Congratulations, Bobby Joe! Uh, you are the winner of hand knitted socks made by mom. What a great contest! Uh, let's do another one next week, huh, mom? All right. Okay. So we'll figure out what we'll let people win in on next week's episode. We'll have a new contest for you. Hey, thank you, everybody who entered. How nice is oh, that? Thank you so much. That It was so nice to hear from everybody and and to to know that you're listening. And it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to, to have that list grow and grow and grow. So thank you. Good. And we'll keep it up. So maybe that yarn stash can shrink and shrink and shrink. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Thank you. Thank you for your commentary <laughs> all right mom uh this is a big one today we're talking about nathan for you uh are you ready you know i this is going to be a hard one for me but yes okay let me set it up comedy central recently wrapped up the fourth season of nathan for you the reality show in which comedian nathan fielder ostensibly uses his business expertise to help struggling small businesses in practice, the show is a platform for Fielder's conceptually elaborate pranks and social experiments in which he pokes at the peculiarities of human nature and social connection. Also, the show is hilarious, in my opinion at least. Nathan For You topped itself with this season finale, though, a two-hour affair in which Nathan helps an elderly Bill Gates impersonator track down the lost love of his life. Here's a clip. Can I ask you something? Go ahead. How long have you been a Bill Gates impersonator for? Oh, four years, I think, it. What are you as? When I first met you, yeah. you told me you impersonated Bill Gates for a living. Well, uh, did I say for a living? You do this for a living, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Well, that must have been a misunderstanding. By you or by me? Well, you know, between two people, it could be misunderstanding. So was it a misunderstanding or did you lie to me? <laughs> I never lied to you. You said you were a professional Bill Gates. I don't know where you got that. It's in the show. You told me on camera. Are you exaggerating anything about this relationship with Francis that I should know about? No, no exaggeration. Everything I've told you is the truth. You've told me everything. Well, 
Everything that I can remember, if I think of anything else, I'll let you know. You weren't like a stalker or anything, right? <laughs> no. Okay. Oh. No. You think I would look like a stalker? It wasn't the most reassuring conversation. Full episodes of Nathan for You are available at ComedyCentral.com. Mom, we know Nathan is for you. The question is, are you for Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that you know how much I love Nathan. You yes. do know that. Yes, we both do. We uh, Perhaps your love is more motherly toward him. But yes, we both love Nathan. Well, what is your love? My love of, is of an artistic genius who is one of the great comic minds of his generation. Could, I could think that, too. Okay. You, oh, you certainly could, but I don't, I don't know that you do. Oh, well, I just love him because he's cute. <laughs> no, and that's not the only reason. I think he's very um, enigmatic. Yes, he is that. And, um, you know, I would like to spend more time with them because he wouldn't like that, but I would really like to figure some more stuff out about him. So give us your synopsis of this season finale. Well, this was a this was all about uh, a man that Nathan had interacted with before who was a Bill Gates imitator. Right. Or that's what he claimed to be anyway. Right. And apparently he then kept coming by the office and on on different pretenses, I guess, and then talked about this long lost love of his, which Nathan decided to help him find again. Right. The fellow's name is the Bill Gates impersonator's name is Bill Heath. And uh, his long lost love was named Francis, uh, which Nathan discovered while they were recording a DVD commentary for an earlier season as it happens. Oh, that's right. Right. And, and uh, so it's along the lines of, Sort of. Who do you think you are? Oh, do you know? interesting. Yeah, I do know that. Um, it's one of those, yeah, like find your family sort of uh, genealogy research shows. Right, right. And that's what it, it put me in mind of that, in that they had to do some digging and some um, some real legwork to, to get to the bottom of things. Right. Uh, and I think Nathan went to quite some trouble for this whole episode and I have to tell you that one of the cutest, one of the cutest things, two of the cutest things were <laughs> when they got to the hotel in, where did they go? Arkansas. When they got to Arkansas and they were in the hotel room together, do you think they stayed together really? I think so. Okay. So Nathan said to him, kind of a fun trip. I'm just the boys. I thought that was one of the cutest <laughs> things yeah it's a very nathan thing to say and only he could deliver it with just the weird um i don't know i don't know how to describe his intonation but like he doesn't 100 percent believe it himself but he wishes he did right 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 and he's gonna he's he's really gonna throw it out there um but there's not much a response from Bill. No, Bill is a very odd bird, isn't he? He is very odd. And I think this is... <laughs> this is where it's hard for me 
because as it unfolded, there was a lot of fantasy in Bill's memories. Mm. And it reminded me very much of Boo. Right. Your father. My father. Who passed away a couple years ago. Right. Who accomplished many things in his life, but was not really a very good husband and really not a great dad. Mm -hmm. I, I know that he loved me and I loved him very much, but he was very quirky and came from a family of six boys with no father. And you know, I'm sure he had his own skeletons in the closet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Bill, as irritated as I was with him, at the same time reminded me very much of Boo. And this was a very tough episode for me. Um, well, I want to explore that further. I want to give the listeners a little more background, too. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen the episode along the way, your sympathies and even Nathan's sympathies for Bill shift as we learn more about him. So, Mom, you know, Mom, you mentioned uh, he has a lot of fantasy in his in these memories. And I think that you're talking about, for instance, you know, he... His portrait of this is very sweet. It's a long-lost love. His uh, family didn't approve of Francis, so and that's why they didn't get married. It's a very tidy story that makes him look very sympathetic. And then they discover this cache of old love letters that, that she is. wrote to him, and it becomes yeah. clear that he had been fooling around on her after he went out to L.A. to pursue a career in Hollywood. Um, and his story starts to develop some cracks. And then he just has this really cockamamie notion that he's going to show up at her door and ask her to marry him after decades and decades they've been apart after they're uh, falling out. And it's, it's, um, it's discomforting. Because right. he's not behaving the way a, a self-respecting grown man should behave, and it's right. and we see this play out. I mean, this is one of Nathan. Nathan just has such a talent for for setups that bring out um, people's inner nature. And this comes out in this elaborate setup that Nathan puts together, where he has uh, an actress play Francis okay. so that. Uh, Bill can rehearse the moment he's going to have with her. And Bill almost immediately starts to get handsy. He's very standoffish. Um, it's a it's a discomforting scene. Um, and then Bill, Nathan has Bill switch roles and play Francis, play the role of Francis. And suddenly uh, this empathy comes out in him and he realizes the things that he did wrong earlier in his life. It's incredible. But it yes, is incredible. it's an emotional roller coaster for sure. You don't. Bill becomes a very complex character. Who would have imagined this Bill Gates impersonator could give us such levels of sympathy and emotion, layers? And and I think also on initially seeing him with with this much time, you know, you just say, oh, here's here's an here's a guy pining for his old flame, and hmm. um, isn't this story lovely? But as you say, when the cracks start appearing, now you're your your emotions are 
are getting confused. The story is getting a little dicier. And where is this going? So my tension is building for Nathan, although at the same time I'm saying this is a two-hour show, there's some there's going to be some merit here, so you have to keep going, even though my sympathies for Bill are fading. Mm-hmm. Now, you've left out one big thing here, is that Nathan hires an escort right. at $350 an hour. <laughs> Holy crap. This is in Arkansas. I mean... To be, to be a, you know, if there wasn't sex and all, I, I think it's a pretty great business. <laughs> yes. Well, I've left out a lot because, I mean, it's uh, without commercials, it's about an hour and a half. So it's like a feature film, really, that he made. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, should we, do you want to talk about the, I wanted to talk about Boo a little more, and then maybe we can get onto the escort stuff. Is that all right? All right. Yeah. Um, so what about Bill reminded you of, of Boo? Well, this is, this is what I'm going to tell you. When my dad started to have signs of dementia, he lived in the next town from me. And it was a little hard to discern because, again, a very quirky guy. Right. Um, but he got he got quieter, and he was a talker, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a big talker, and he was getting quieter and quieter. And I took him grocery shopping one day, and he he wasn't interested in getting any food. All he wanted to do was buy a birthday card for. A woman. That was all he would tell me. He wanted to buy a birthday card for a woman. So I did his grocery shopping and he went to the back of the grocery store and bought this birthday card for a woman that he had had an affair with in Germany. And, um, you know, my mother was a very tolerant woman, and she did love my father very much. But he went to Germany for a couple of summers, and I guess spent his time with this woman. And in this dementia, he had, I guess, decided he wanted to send her a birthday card. He still remembered when her birthday was. And... It seemed very pathetic to me. Mm-hmm. Now, in about six months from this time, he's in a nursing home and at this time decides to tell me that I have a sister in Germany. And I don't know whether to believe him if it's part of this fantasy, I don't know. I don't even know what to do because I don't even know how to ask him any questions about it because I'm not sure I believe him. Right. After he passes, I get a bundle of his letters. And in it, 
is a letter from this woman, woman call, saying to my father, I understand you need to be there for baby Bonnie. And, oh, and we won't ask you about it anymore. So apparently there is a sister in Germany and Bill reminded me very much of that. Boy, I can understand that. If I had known any of this, Mom, I'm not sure I would have had you watch the episode, in fact, because the similarities are, are striking. Oh, how did you feel when you saw that letter? I know you have to be there for baby Bonnie. I mean, it breaks my heart just to picture it. Well, Johnny, it's... It's, um, I still don't know what to think. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. Mostly I try to ignore it. But when this episode came up, it just rang all those bells and I thought maybe... I should do something. I don't know. What do you think you would do? I don't, I would need some help in right. that. Yeah. I don't, does it matter? Is it um, opening a can of worms? Is it important? Um, would it be worse for her life? I, I don't have any answer to any of those questions. But it did make me think again about it all. And it made me wonder about so many, you know, times were so different. Times were so very different. And here is Bill, who has sort of rewritten his story where he really did this Francis wrong. Right. And he had a lot of big talk. But when push came to shove, he folded. Right, which is not an unfamiliar boo narrative either. Right. So you, I must imagine, find yourself, I must imagine you find yourself wondering what was their experience of boo. You don't know any of that, right? I know none of that. I know none of it. I don't know. Was was she the great love of his life, if he was capable of that. He was a very self-centered man. Right. And this bill seems that way to me. Yes. All about him. Until until the end, when he talks to her, he's going to have her divorce her husband. And, <laughs> right. You know, this like is his fantasy, been, yes. His fantasy that, you know, she's been sitting on her couch all this time just waiting for him to call. And he had a little glimpse of reality himself, I think. You see his demeanor change over the course of that phone call that he places to her. Uh, from out, right from right outside her house. Right. And you, uh, although she does not know that, 
and you you see reality sink into his face and and his acceptance of of it it just is like a door slammed right in his face yes he does thank god accept it cuz he I, does cuz at that point you're not sure if he will he's been so crazed and so erratic increasingly so as the story marches on and he can see the desperation in him he's so close now to making this fantasy come true he he, there's a stretch near the end where he just it's nothing but desperation he he must make this happen um and then that falls away in the course of a 15 minute phone call and i wonder what it was like for nathan to observe that I wonder what it was like for Nathan to to see that because men handle things uh, emotionally very different than women do. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Well, if we're speaking in general, uh, yeah. yes, you know, it depends on the individual, of course. Um, but how do you mean? Well, I mean, I think a woman would do a postmortem with with that. You know, let's let's go get a cup of coffee. And my God, how did that feel? And are you disappointed? And why didn't you? And but I think men just kind of say, hmm, yeah, I get it. And that's it. They don't they don't talk about it. That's, you know, in general, of Mm -hmm. course, there are are. That's what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, I think. I think Nathan's great skill uh, that he is used to create, in my eyes, some iconic comedy. And for me, watching this season finale, I felt at the end of it that it's one of the best uses of the television medium I've ever seen. And I mean that in a particular way. He uses the apparatus of television to bring things out in in people and to tell stories in which that in which television is uh, itself a player in the in the game, right? Mm-hmm. So he has used his, and he says it outright in, in this episode, he's, he's using the resources of his television production to accomplish, to tell this story and to yeah. create this story as he's telling yeah. it for Bill, right? Um, right? And I think that, now let me say this, what you see on the screen I think is... Um, I think there's a little more production legwork behind the scenes happened than is evidenced in the story. I am pretty confident that the production would have been able to locate Francis and I would imagine did locate Francis more easily than the roundabout route that Nathan took us on, right? I think it was real from Bill's point of view, but I suspect that the production knew more than we saw on screen okay well that would make sense yeah yeah, of course right um they know how to do their their research and there are ways to to find people that don't involve traveling to arkansas and getting a yearbook out of the school library but that said i think toward the latter portion of the story nathan is really questioning what he has created here and if he's been reckless with the use of his tv show and if he's perhaps ruining could be ruining someone's life if if Bill 
if it all goes sideways when Bill meets up with this woman as he intends to do. Yeah. So I think that there's sort of the production aside, the stuff I discussed aside, I do think that right. there you can see some real doubt on Nathan's face as to how to proceed as this story gets to its later stages. Because as much as he screws with people and um, messes with their heads sometimes, I loved the, in fact, the escort summation of his uh <laughs> being which is that he's funny and he's mean she was extremely perceptive after um having seen only an episode or two of the show even though he can be incidentally cruel sometimes he actually it is a show with a lot of heart and he actually is a kind person in the end and i think he feels maybe he's creating could create some real damage with this endeavor but he has to see it through they've come that far right Right. And I'm sure if it had been disastrous, it, they would have taken it another way or done something yeah. else. I mean, you know, I, I it is television. And, and given that, let me say this. This is this is comedy central. You know, this is not um, masterpiece theater. on right. right. And I thought this was elegant. And I thought. It was um, it was like a ballet to me. I thought that it all came together and flowed and 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 in the end, you felt like fulfilled. And I'm really glad I watched that. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt like. It was it was a real quality piece, I think. Did it um, make you feel any better about. Uh, this boo piece. I know that it dredged up these memories for you and that the parallels must have been upsetting at times, but did it, you know, you say you felt good at the end of it. Did you feel any better or gain any insight vis-a-vis boo? Which, by the way, I should tell the listeners, this is the first time I'm hearing any of this. Mm. Well, let me say this, Johnny. Mm-hmm. My dad also went to war. And I guess I always thought I, 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 wait a second. Give me a second here. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I think men of that generation were a breed unto themselves. I think they were, I think they were, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with this. Um, I think I always knew what my dad was about. I do. It didn't give me any insight, but you know what it told me? That he wasn't the only one that lived like that. Mm -hmm. And maybe when I'm old, I'll rewrite some of the things that in my past that I regret or would have done differently. And and maybe I'll rewrite my story and feel really comfortable about that. But not right now. I don't. Right. Did that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And the it's striking the way you put it, rewriting your own story, because that's really what Bill had done over time, perhaps not even realizing it. Right. Because, exactly. because when he he's so eager to show 
these love letters that he found to Nathan, right? Um, right. And it's not, yes. it's not clear whether he's looked through them. It seems like he has not looked through them as thoroughly as Nathan then proceeds to do because he he's all a Twitter about them, you know? Right. Uh, and then as Nathan goes through them, the truth of the story is revealed in the heartbreaking anguish that you see from Francis and anger and betrayal that comes through in her words to him. And Bill is, you know, Bill is caught wrong footed by this. You know, he says, he kind of mumbles like, Oh, did, did, did she mention, did she mention that woman? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, you know, and it's, it's like his story is his revisions are just being erased before his very eyes to his yeah. own story. Yeah. And he's, and he's not denying them. No, he he at least has the wherewithal to know that he can't. You know, it's right there on the page. It's right, right. And uh, he he it wasn't quite the romantic thing that he had uh, blown up in his head or painted in his head. No, it, but it once was. That was the other striking thing, wasn't it? And Nathan remarks on this too: how Bill becomes obsessed with this one phrase. Uh, that she writes in one of the letters, I will love you until I go to my grave. Yes. Right? And he fixates on that to the exclusion of everything that came after. <laughs> yes. Um, it's almost as if he's reset the clock of his story to a certain point and refuses to acknowledge any advance beyond that. It's just stopped yeah. there. And it sounds a little like that's what Boo was going through too when he was buying the birthday card, just entertaining this notion that he it would just be as simple as resetting that clock. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Um, tell the people a little bit about Boo. Boo was the last of six boys in a family that grew up in Braintree, Massachusetts. And he, his passion was track from the time. I don't know. He, he built his own pole that, pole vault pit in his backyard and the they were every one of those six boys was handsome as all get out but he was the baby <laughs> and he he was the golden one he was the favorite and so while their upbringing wasn't elegant my grandmother went to work every day and raised these six boys he went on to the University of New Hampshire, went to war, came back and finished. He was um, the track coach at the University of Pennsylvania for, I guess, most all of his career, for all of his career, and collected bottles and retired to New Hampshire. And just he, he lived every day just the way he wanted to. Now, in the, in the, in the middle there someplace, he married my mother and had three children, of which I was the accident, which I was told many, many times. And um, he was a playboy, for sure. Mm -hmm. He loved the girls. And he went to the Olympics. He, he um, coached a girl to the Olympics in the, in the javelin. And, you know, he had a lot of success in his life. Yeah, he, went to the, he was an Olympic athlete. 
I just want to make he sure that's clear to people. Yeah. yeah. So this was the 1948 Olympics in, in, in London, and uh, it, it tends to rain in London from time to time. And it did start raining <laughs> in the middle of this pole vault event. And his uh, pole just couldn't get a good grip in the pit is basically what happened. Right. Well, either that or he twisted his knee or something. There's some story to it. But the, you know, the long and short of it is that he was favored to win and did not. Right. He placed six. And that uh, that was an opportunity that he ne- never quite got over. Would you say? I would say. I would say it was uh, it, it, it was uh, that was not the way he wanted it to be written. In fact, what did he do after the Olympics? He went and he visited every competitor that placed over him and pole vaulted against them in their hometown and beat them all. (laughs) He set up these impromptu one-on-one pole vaulting competitions to prove something, right? To himself. Well, but even then, I wonder, you know? It's, I do too, Johnny. It's about the moment, and I think he knew that. And, you know, it's interesting. The theme here is is moments that you can't get back and right. trying to turn the clock back and failing. And that was, that really was written in cement. And, and I think it's so true. I mean, how many moments, you know, you're much younger than me, and I only have a few, but there's moments that are written in cement that I very much wish were not. Yeah. Well, this has certainly gotten melancholy, hasn't it? I think it's an episode of the show that uh, was at times very funny and was at times very discomforting in a, in a funny way as, uh, yeah. I mean, Nathan doing those smooches with the escort that he quote unquote <laughs> falls in love with in the hotel room is one of the most um, cringy moments. I mean, I was laughing, but it's one of the cringiest moments Ooh. I've ever seen on TV. Um, but at the same time, it had some genuine heart to it. So I am, look, this is not the way I expected this podcast to go. I'll admit that much. Uh, I hadn't heard these uh, stories about uh, Boo's German dalliances before, but I guess I'm not surprised because there is genuine emotion and genuine um, exploration of human needs and even human pain on this also very funny show. And I think that's one of the things that makes Nathan for you great. So I'm not surprised that it prompted a conversation like this. And I don't think any of the listeners mind. I think everybody's grateful that you um, would share this. I hope so. Of course, of course. Okay, because, okay. Yeah, don't, yes. I have found that when you are, uh, when you are honest with your audience, they respond. When you're emotionally honest with your audience, they're there for you. At least my audience is, and that's who you've got. All right, is there, before we move on, is there anything else that struck you about the Nathan for you Finding Francis finale? This is the last thing I made notes about, and I would like to comment on this. It was that at the end, they played a song. I only wrote down two phrases from it, but they played a very sweet song that said, don't be sad, be happy for me. And um, (laughs) to be honest, it just, that broke the dam. It just made me cry. But I think that was just the cherry 
on the Sunday and who, you know, the producer that put that together and edited it, um, just a big wow to you. Well, I think you could probably, um, Nathan has editors, of course, but he, I know having spoken to people on the production that he, uh, is a micromanager and I don't say that in a derogatory sense. He mm-hmm. really supervises the edits of these shows very closely. He is a perfectionist and he is an artist in that respect. So perhaps you can give him credit for uh, constructing that oh, moment. I would definitely give him credit. I would definitely give him credit. And I thank him because it, it brought to the surface something for me. So thank you, Nathan. That's great. Um, it feels a little inappropriate for you to give a grade, but would you like to give a grade to Finding Francis? Oh, I, uh, you know, for all the humanity that it brought up in me, I would have to, it, it, it's unjust to even give it a grade, but I'll give it an A++++. Okay. <laughs> an A++. triple plus. You know, Mom, maybe we can, uh, down the line, we can talk about, uh, talk about, this parallel between Boo and Bill more is after you've had some more time to process it too. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, you know, on the show, on the TV show, the AV club hosted by John Tady, uh, season finale tonight. If you're listening to this on Thursday, November 16th, it's the finale tonight at 11, 10 central on fusion TV. So on the show, we've been talking a lot about the sex abuse cases, um, uh, lately and i'm proud of what we've done on them but we often have to i have to talk about them for four or five minutes then i have to pivot to something else i you know so what i've done is we've written these little palette cleansers where we just put a funny picture up or or whatnot uh so i'm going to put it up to you i have a miss manners letter here and we can do it as a fun palette cleanser or we can uh, call the podcast here whatever you're up for Oh, I'm I'm up for a little palate cleansing. Okay, I thought you might be. All right. Um, So Mom and I have been, if you haven't been listening every week, Mom and I have been uh, critiquing the advice columnists of uh, America's newspapers and otherwise, uh, and we have zeroed in lately on Miss Manners, because mostly because uh, I like making fun of Miss Manners. I think her advice is quite (laughs) awful, but I think that her column is pretty entertaining. So... We're going to do another Miss Manners letter today. Mom, this letter is about um, dog etiquette. You ready for that? I'm ready. Okay. Dear Miss Manners, in this day of, quote, pet parents, I constantly find myself biting my tongue. A dog is a dog, and they follow a different set of rules than children. I love my dog. He has been my best friend for 14 years, but he is a dog, and I will not treat him the same as I treat a human child. If he is driving me nuts, it is not abuse to put him outside for a while as long as weather allows. It is not abuse to put him in a temperature-controlled garage when we are not home. It is not unkind to not allow him on the furniture. If he is not listening or is generally misbehaving, I have no problem swatting his backside or grabbing him by the scruff of the neck the same way his mother would have. As a result, I have an overwhelmingly well-behaved dog that I've never even had to have on a leash. Dogs respond to consistent discipline. Pets are animals, not people. What would you see as a proper response to someone who tells me that I should have my dog taken away for treating him like a dog? To be clear, I am never excessive in punishments, and he has never been hurt. He is a genuinely happy, fearless, active little guy. 
and Miss Manners responds, The next time you are criticized, try recoiling with a horrified, Are you suggesting someone should take away my beloved prince? Then, while your critic recovers from the confusion, make a quick getaway. Terrible advice. Oh, stupid advice. Uh, it seems like Miss Manners' suggested remark would only escalate the situation. With a lot of words. <laughs> With a lot of words. That's right. Miss Manners never uses two or three words when a dozen will do. <laughs> That's, um, right. That's right. So... I think we agree that Ms. Manners' response is, is dumb, uh, but let's analyze this person a little bit. I'm with them, and a dog is a dog, and they're not a child, and fine, put your dog in the garage as long as it's not freezing. They say it's temper con- temperature right. controlled. Uh, right. Put the dog outside, fine. Um, when it gets to swanning the backside, now I don't think that's take the dog away behavior, but I also don't think it's effective Discipline, in my experience. I remember when we had Moxie and she used to be naughty. I used to swat her on the butt sometimes. And then eventually I realized it doesn't do anything. Right. So I question the part where the letter writer says, I have an overwhelmingly well-behaved dog. Because most of the letter seems to be about when the dog's driving the person crazy. Well, and if it's so well-behaved, why does it need a SWAT? What's going on? Exactly. Or grabbed by the scruff of the neck or to be put outside. All of this, it doesn't quite jibe. So what do you make and of this person? Thing, yeah, go the ahead. The other thing I'm going to tell you that drives me nuts is put your goddamn dog on a leash. Because you know what? My dog will be on a leash. And if your dog prances over there, well, the dog we had would eat it. <laughs> yes. That is true. So, and a particular story comes to mind. Uh, do you know what I'm thinking of? Yes, I can tell. Well, there were you a do. few. There so. were a few, but there's one in particular that comes to mind when we were uh, walking down Mount Kearsarge, which is sort of the, <laughs> the, the mountain that you hike in, in our neck of the woods in New Hampshire. Yeah. And we were coming down uh, the trail with Moxie on a leash. And Moxie was an Akita. Uh, she was a beautiful... One of the most beautiful dogs you'll ever see. A beautiful black Akita with a white uh, sort of that dicky thing that uh, yeah. dogs and cats have sometimes. Uh, and w- little white paws. Just gorgeous dog, but very protective of our family. So we were walking down the mountain on the trail with Moxie on a leash. And then we see uh, a couple with their dog in the middle distance coming toward us. And that dog is not on a leash and starts to pick up its pace coming toward us. And uh, the woman says, don't worry, don't worry, she's friendly. And you, mom, immediately said, well, she's not, pointing to Moxie. And an instant later, it happened so fast, these dogs are at each other. And if you've never seen two dogs fight, you understand where the uh, the comic strip convention of just a cloud with limbs sticking out of it comes from. Because suddenly it's just it was just a spherical circle of dog and going at each other. And this woman was it Goldie or Ginger, Mom? I always Ginger. Ginger. Was right. Ginger. It was Ginger. She says <laughs> That dog is going to kill Ginger. (laughs) Like, we're the monsters here. And I look, I understand her panic in the the moment. We had seen it before, so we knew, you know, it was going to be fine. They tired themselves out in a few seconds, as they did. And we were able to pull them apart and nobody was hurt. (laughs) 
Yes. Ginger was not killed, but it just, it instantly became our fault. And they were very resentful of us, even though our dog was the one on the leash. Yeah. And that's my whole, whole thing. I mean, I even said to a neighbor who has one of those, uh, what are they? Golden retriever. Yeah. You know, that she walks without a leash and she says, you know, oh, no problem. I said, put your goddamn dog on. This is my neighbor, you know. <laughs> and uh, I don't think she, we spoke for about two years. But I just think a leash, you put your dog on a leash. What is the big deal with 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 putting a leash on? I don't understand it. Well, I think it's fine. You know, if you're in a, you know, if you're taking the dog out to a field where there's nobody else around or if you're at a dog park where there's a designated off-leash area, great. Like, I think it's, in fact, I think it's true that dogs benefit from off-leash time, right? And it does make them better behaved overall. But when you're walking down the street, you're going to be encountering other people, perhaps other dogs. You got to have a leash. And yet people don't, even around here in Chicago, mom... And in New York, I mean, these are big cities, very dense. We'd encounter people who didn't. Uh, we yep. And we do encounter people who don't have their dogs on a leash. Little tiny dogs or big dogs? Uh, it's usually smaller, medium dogs. Yeah, but um, I've seen all kinds. And usually the, the owner has the leash there, you know, but they just are letting, giving the yeah. dog some off-leash time. I get it. It is good for the dog, but you got to pick your moments. Yeah, okay. I, I, that is my bugaboo is the leash. I, I need the leash. Yeah. And, and, you know, if somebody, you know what, this is no different than people that are telling you what to do with your children. Oh, you know, you shouldn't feed him that you should feed him this. You should do this. You should, you know what, keep your stinking advice to yourself. <laughs> well, you say that, but you also just said that you told uh, your neighbor to put her dog on a leash. So it seems like you, which side are you on? <laughs> Well, mine wasn't really meant in the spirit of advice. I see. I see. So a uh, little uh, lesson in dog etiquette. Yeah, dog etiquette. And I think, you know, you're going to do what you do with your dog. But uh, but also I'm going to say to you, what are you what are you writing to Miss Manners for? If you're so confident in yourself, just just do it. <laughs> what do you need? Somebody to say, yay, you. That's what I think. I think a lot of people who write into the advice columns need somebody to say, yay, you. Do you? Especially Miss Manners. A lot of the Miss Manners uh, letters basically boil down to, can you believe this jerk? <laughs> right? Of course, well, that's a lot of the media at this point. Can you believe this asshole? Yeah. Well, that's a daily thing now, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <sighs> okay. All right. Well, that... Uh, I did not expect what happened in this episode of Mom on Pop, and it's so appropriate that it was uh, in our review of an episode that also confounds expectations, uh, namely the Nathan for You finale. Uh, thank you, Mom, for being so open and sharing all that with us. Well, thank you, and again, I do, I do trust that the listeners will hear it in a kind way. Of course, how could they? There's nothing unkind about it, um, and. Uh, Yes, the listeners love you, and they've got your back for sure. 
Okay. And they'll be back next week, I know, because we'll have another installment of Mom on Pop. Hey, if you enjoy the show, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about it. It really helps get the word out. You know, we, we're back after a uh, long hiatus, and we'd love for people to know about it. So scream from the rooftops, especially if you enjoyed this rather extraordinary, in my opinion, episode of the podcast. Tell people about it because it really helps us out. We'd love to grow the mom on pop community that we love so much. Until next time, for Bonnie Tatey, I'm John Tatey. So long for now. Bye.